This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, Tim Keller, who I quoted in the message, Pastor from New York City, um, says in one of the books that he's written, sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And then you realize he's enough. I mean, that's that's the thought. As those trees fall, but Jesus stands, you get to the end and you think like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, hey, I've learned to have all these things in life. I've learned to lose all these things in life. But with Jesus, I can get, I can get through both of those times because he is the rock that is that is higher than I well, welcome to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name's Ryan, and, and I want to say Happy Easter to all of you listening. Uh, this past Sunday was Easter Sunday, and it was it was one that most of us have not experienced before. We had Easter at home due to COVID nineteen, and and the stay at home order we're honoring in order to end this pandemic uh, that's hit our nation and most of the world. I'm here with Pastor Christian, and we're really glad you've tuned in. We know, we we know it means that you're eager to grow in your relationship with Jesus, or or it means you're gathering information about making a decision for Jesus. And and, and we're really blessed to be a part of that journey. Uh, if Journey can offer you any support for you during this time, please don't hesitate to reach out by sending us an email at activate at takethejourney.cc. Uh, Pastor Christian, welcome. Uh, in your in your Easter message, you talked about the nostalgia you experienced as you walked around your neighborhood, seeing kids playing outside more. It's it's certainly taken me back to my childhood and down memory lane. What what's your favorite Easter memory as a kid, spiritually or or family wise? So when I think about Easter as a kid, my my grandfather was a pastor, pastored more than sixty years. Um, in a church. My, my mom was a pastor's daughter. So almost every year we went to their house for Easter so we could go to their church. He always pastored in really, really small towns, usually in churches of, of less than a hundred people. So my Easter memories are always uh, going to church um, to hear grandpa preach in some pink or purple or pastel. I mean, it was, it was always a new outfit, yeah. right? And it was, it was going to grandma and grandpa's house um, with cousins um, to, to listen to grandpa preach. Uh, really, it, it wasn't, um, it really probably wasn't until Bible college that the resurrection and resurrection life really began to resonate in, in my soul of what, of what Easter was. It was, and, and I mean, I, I was a kid born and raised in church, right? Um, but Easter was much more a, a national holiday than a, than a spiritually impactful day. Yeah. To me, growing up, um, and, and it's interesting, you know, in, in the stay-at-home orders, this may be the first Easter that any kids in our church have experienced. That's different than a new outfit, right? And a, and a selfie with mom and dad that you can send out. It, it may be the first time that Easter is not a national holiday and is instead a very, very special spiritual day. So maybe God will use all this crazy season to get attention off of family gathering new outfit, big lunch, and we'll really stop and just talk about the the resurrection. Because most of my childhood memories, I mean, we, we love Jesus, we were church-going family, but it, it was about the holiday more than it was the event of the resurrection, at least in my mind that I can remember. Well, not growing up as a Christian, even as a, a Christian in helping plant this church, oftentimes it's how quick can we hurry up and tear down so we can head off to lunch. Right. Not even I mean, you focus on the important part, but this has definitely caused us to focus more on what it's about. Even more than that, Ryan. I mean, I I did ministry for 10 or 12 years before I realized that Easter could be leveraged 
to tell people who didn't know Jesus about him. For I mean, even the first 10 years of ministry, it was like Easter was this big pageant slash production that you would put on for Christians. That's I mean, that's how what Easter was. It was just a bigger event for Christians. And I think what so much of the church world is doing now is they're they're leveraging Easter and Christmas, which are holidays, as a very easy chance to invite someone to church to hear the spiritual meaning behind it. And and uh, we always, it seems like, see lots of people who don't know Jesus become followers of Jesus at times like Christmas and Easter because we are going back to the roots rather than just celebrating the, the religious tradition and the holidays around them. Amen. That actually kind of leads into my second question for you. You know, the main Bible text you reference from from Matthew 28 in your message, in, in setting up the text, you mentioned Matthew was a financial bookkeeper, that he would have taken meticulous records. And, and that was important as a disciple in recording the account of Jesus in the, in the Gospels. But, but what's interesting is that before Matthew became a follower of Jesus, he was a tax collector. Now, you were nice to him. You said he was a, he was a bookkeeper. But, but we know as we study Scripture, he was a crook who cheated people and probably never thought of himself as someone who Jesus could love or forgive. Why Why is Easter as much for the lost Matthews of this world as it is for the person who strives to be a good person? So the, the thing we're going through right now in our country is a really good picture of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, because as, you know, as we go through the coronavirus, you know, season in our world, um, they don't even want healthy people coming to the doctor. Right. I mean, don't, don't get your teeth cleaned. Don't go get a physical. Uh, don't, don't even have elective surgery. Like if you're not dying, stay home. Hospitals right now are for sick people. And Jesus, when he came and talked to the religious people who didn't think they needed him, would often say to them, listen, it's not the well who need a physician. It's the sick. Um, you know, it's, it's not healthy people who need hospitals. It's those who are sick. And dying. And Jesus looks at the world and sees a world full of people who have been infected, not by COVID-19, but by a virus called sin. And he can't build hospitals fast enough to reach them. And I think what Matthew shows us, really, when you look at all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these were all people who would have been in some way spiritual outcast, which is why the spiritual elite hated them all. Um, they were all spiritual outcasts who found a savior who found hope, who found forgiveness, who found a second chance um, in in the life of Jesus, and just in the pocket of disciples. When you look at the range of people that Jesus was ministering to, you had Matthew, uh, also known as Levi, who was a tax collector, worked for the Roman government, and you had Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter, who you know was kind of the captain of the disciples, but Simon the Zealot, who you know the Zealots of of Galilee. When you go to Israel today, I mean, they are famous for their brutality against anything that they consider Roman or even even Jewish oppression. Um, Simon the Ze- Simon the Zealot would have beat up guys like Matthew, the tax collector. And here, here you have, if, you know, if you can, if you can picture, um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Sean Hannity both becoming disciples of Jesus and dropping socialism and conservatives, conservatism and saying, I just want to follow Jesus. Nothing else matters. I mean, that's the picture of Matthew and Simon the Zealot who, who put aside political ideology to follow Jesus. Each of them, um, would have been, rejected by the by the religious people of the day Simon the zealot because he he would have been you know he he would have been on the crazy fringe of re- rebellion and anarchy 
Matthew, the tax collector, because he's he's taking money from Jewish people, giving some of it to Rome, keeping it for himself. These these people weren't in the religious bullseye. And here comes Jesus and draws them uh, to the hope that only he can offer. And and what were they looking at? I think you asked a little further down here. But, you know, both both Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector were both trying to build some pillars of life, right? Family, finances, um, relationships. They're just looking, they're just trying to build security. Simon thought it would be found in a, in a zealous Jewish leadership. Uh, Matthew thought it could be found in the money of Rome. And both of them, after trying their own way, realized that Jesus' way was the only way to true peace and to true hope. And that is the message of Easter. Yeah, and I think, you know, as people know our mission statement, or they may not, right, we exist to see people far from God, the Matthews of the world, the zealots of the world, uh, become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Um, and, and that's our hope, right, this Easter, that as the message goes out, that people from wherever they're at will come to know uh, Jesus as their Savior. Discipleship always travels. I mean, the two the two biggest texts in the New Testament on discipleship, the Great Commission, it says go. Go and make disciples. Go as you live your life. You got to tell more people. And then in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit falls, that is the gift to the Christian church. The purpose of the gift is so it can fuel them to go tell others. It's always been the mission of the church to go reach people who are not reached yet. Let me set this next question up a little bit. You know, when I was in college, um, my dad had become a follower of Jesus, so he would he would point me towards Christian artists, Newsboys, Third Day, DC Talk. I didn't know any of them. I didn't know who they were. Right, Michael Tate, Toby Mac, and and I wasn't much into Christian music, but I, but I liked DC Talk, and they had this song that really hit me in college when I was making all kinds of mistakes, and it was called The Hard Way, and it had some lyrics that really resonated with me because it was my life. It said, "Some people got to learn the hard way." I, I guess I'm the kind of guy. That has to find out for myself. I had to learn the hard way. Father, it says, I'm on my knees and I'm crying for help. You know, in your message, you talk about American security, that people place their security in really five things, right? You kind of touched on them, their family, health, finances, career, and relationships. And now now due to COVID-19, and, and that fact, uh, it's shaking what they had placed their security in. And so many people's eyes have been open to their need for Jesus. So going forward, how, how can we be careful to recognize these things as gifts, family, health, finances, as gifts, but not make them gods in our lives? Well, I think we have to, I think we have to go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, that you, you just have to put the kingdom of God first. You just have to put your life with Jesus first. And ev- in everything else comes after that will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added to you. Uh, you will actually enjoy your family more when you see them as a gift and not as a God because you will anticipate that they will let you down from time to time. You will be able to enjoy your finances more when you see them as a gift rather than a God because you won't place your security in them. You'll try to use them for enjoyment or impact in the world. Um, you'll actually see your career more as a gift when you realize it's not the thing you have to rely on to support you through all of life and into eternity. And, and I think that's, that's, that's really, really important. There are a lot of gifts in life that make unbelievable gifts and they make terrible gods. Um, and yeah, that if, if you don't choose to believe that, you will learn that. Because I didn't say it in my message, because we have so many people who watch on Easter that you, you know, you hate to, um, you hate to in any way 
just really be too heavy-handed. But every person watching in every living room within 100 years is going to be dead. I mean, those who say, no, 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 all my security's in my family. It's like, okay, well, look around your living room. Um, most likely, you're not all going out together. So which of you can't have their fam- family be be their God? I mean, wh- which one of you is going to be the last one standing with no family? I mean, you just you either learn the hard way, like you said, or you choose to put Jesus first, see the wonderful gifts he gives you as gifts, and you enjoy them. Um, instead of relying on them, putting so much pressure on them. Um, man, when, when you are the family member who is seen as a God rather than a gift, people can put a lot of pressure on you to continue to come through for them uh, and feel like if you don't do your part as family, they can't live their life because they're putting demands and expectations on you that really only Jesus can meet. Uh, so, so it's interesting to look at these things, great gifts, terrible gods, if we think about the lumberjack rattling trees, all those trees will fall. Yeah, all of all those trees will fall. Yeah, and I think as you set it up in the message, um, when these things have been removed from people, they're now watching where they may have never watched before for something that's sturdy, for the rock, for a, a chance to finally find something that's truly security in their life. Um, and, and my reference was a lot of times we've got to learn the hard way. It has to; those things have to almost be taken, or we things are, can't be the same for us to finally have our eyes open to the truth. Yeah. So Keller, who I, Tim Keller, who I quoted in the message, pastor from New York City, um, says in one of the books that he's written, sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have, and then you realize He's enough. I mean, that's that's the thought. As those trees fall, but Jesus stands. You get to the end and you think like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, hey, I've learned to have all these things in life. I've learned to lose all these things in life. But with Jesus, I can get, I can get through both of those times because he is the rock that is, that is higher than I. He is, the, he is the rock that holds. He is the anchor in the storm. He is the rock you can build your house on and the storm won't blow it down. Um, that is Jesus. That's where we point people towards at Easter. Yeah, amen. Well, you shared with us how Easter has power over locked doors, and you asked people very directly. I, re- I remember this moment. What happened, as you kind of talked to different people, what happened to lock the door of your heart to, to church or, or small groups or growing as a Christian? Then, then you go on to share John twenty nineteen and 20, where Jesus shows the disciples his hands and his side, where, where he was wounded. And, and when they saw his wounds, they were overjoyed because... Really, what had happened is since their death on the cross, they had, they'd been in hiding. They were living behind locked doors. Why? Why in the light of the fact that Jesus has not only risen, but that he will return? You spent some time talking about that, the fact that he will return one day. Should we strive to have Jesus unlock the door to our hearts to be used by him and experience all that he has for us? Well, the reality is, so we've, we've been created in the image of God. We are, we will be our best, most natural created people when we, when we are most like Jesus. And one day when, one day when you get to heaven and there is no sin nature, all sin has been washed away and you stand with the righteousness of Christ, all the, all the doors and hallways and storage compartments in your heart will be unlocked and, and you will become in every area of life who Jesus has created you to be. The question I would have is why wait for that? Uh, why wait for that? Um, two reasons. One, you're not going to fulfill all the things Jesus wants you to fulfill in life if you keep a part of your life hidden from him. Secondly, 
Paul tells us that one day Jesus is going to come back. That that is that is both an announcement that we need to know and a warning that we need to heed. And he said, one day you're going to everyone's going to stand before the judgment throne of Christ. And all these parts of your life that you refuse to surrender, all the doors you kept locked, all the things you said, no, 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 Jesus, that's not for you, that's for me. You're going to have to give an account for those things before the one who gave his life for you. You're going to have to stand and explain yourself. And what discipleship does, what spiritual growth does, what spiritual maturity does, is it just is one little surrender after another. If salvation is unlocking the front door of your house so Jesus can come in, that's a good step. But have have you given him the 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 keys to the remote? Have you given him the keys to the car and your radio in the car? Have you given him the keys to your bedroom? Have you given him the keys to your office where you keep your computer? Have you given him the keys to your kids' rooms and how you parent? See, it's, it's one thing to have Jesus in the house. It's another thing to make Jesus the ruler of the house <clears throat> to where he has a master key and he can unlock any area of your life and have access to it. And that's where we, that's, that's where we will get to one day in eternity. Jesus will have the master key. He'll have access to everything and we'll be grateful because we'll be most like him. And for those of us who refuse to give that access now, we're going to have to stand account for that, um, for even the sin in our life uh, that we sin. We're going to have to give an account for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And after that, surrender all those anyway. So why why not get a jump start on eternity by giving Jesus the master key to your life? You know, as I heard you share this, I thought how freeing this is going to be for so many people who will hopefully take some steps towards Jesus, towards some obedience, towards some healing, towards some forgiveness. And I thought, man, the kingdom will be stronger as people continue to grow. Uh, I'm really excited to see how God works. You know, as you have, have done each week in this uh, waiting room series, you've, you've given us some refrigerated verses. And this week you share Psalms of Ascent. And I don't, I don't need a dictionary to look up Ascent because I already know what an Ascent is. I, I can do a I can do a southern one. I can do an Australian one. Put another shrimp on the Barbie. I mean, that's easy, right? I can I can do this. <laughs> all, all kidding aside. Oh my god. All kidding aside, Psalms of Ascent, right? You shared Psalm 121, 124, 125, 126, 128, 130, 133. Can can you help us understand these Psalms of Ascent? I can. <laughs> But if if Pastor Brandon is listening to this, he I mean he is right now dying on the inside over over your Psalms of accent. Um, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Psalms of ascent, ascent to go up to ascend. So these are Psalms that the people of Israel remember. Three times a year, everyone's required to appear before God in Jerusalem if they can. In Jer- that's the key in Jerusalem if they can. So you you have people coming from Galilee. You have people coming. From the Judean desert, you have, you know, people coming from parts of Syria. You have people coming from, you know, parts of what is modern day Haifa, right? They're coming from all over Israel, sometimes all over the Middle East. Paul actually sailed from Turkey to, uh, to Jerusalem for, um, Pentecost one year. So, I mean, you get Jews coming from all over the world, but the only way you can get to Jerusalem is to go up. Regardless of whether you're traveling north, south, east, or west, because Jerusalem sits about 3,000, 3,500 feet above sea level and is, and it's the highest point kind of on the plateau it is. No matter what direction you come from, the only way to get to Jerusalem is to go up. So these songs of ascents are psalms that the people would sing in the final stages of their trip as they began to rise to Jerusalem. 
they saw they saw the elevation kind of as a spiritual climb towards the mountain where God's presence was, towards the mountain where they believed um, God's power was. And they, they would worship all the way up to the temple because that's where God was. So that's what those Psalms of Ascent are. The Psalms of Ascent would be the last things on the minds and the hearts and the tongues of the people. As they approach God, they would ascend, whether they were coming from Tel Aviv and traveling east, whether they were coming from Jericho and traveling west, whether they were coming from the Galilee and traveling south, whether they were coming from Bethlehem and traveling north, everyone would end on a climb and they would ascend, seeing these songs, getting their heart, their mind, um, their soul ready to praise the God of Israel, ready to praise the God of the world who they believe resided in the mountains of Jerusalem. That, that's, uh, that's what those are. They're very, very short. They're just kind of bursts of song of praise that you would sing as you thought about finally getting to where the presence of God dwelled. And having traveled in Israel together and been to on the way up to Jerusalem, I can picture just kind of cresting that hill and seeing it's a beautiful thing. And yep. um, boy, it'd be great to, to have a, a trumpet going and these um, these psalms being read at the same time. Yeah, Pastor Brandon's probably saying, how dare you ever let that guy do another <laughs> podcast again is what he's actually thinking. It's very possible. Yeah, very possible. You know, Pastor Christian, thanks for a tremendous Easter message that we pray helps people find hope. And really the backdrop of this really hard season of life that's going on right now. And thank you for listening today from wherever you are around the world. Be sure to tune in to our service this coming Sunday on either Facebook Live, YouTube, the JCI app, or even on our website, takethejourney.cc. We would love to hear how God worked in your life this Easter. So please share your story by sending us an email. Again, at Activate at TakeTheJourney.cc. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate podcast where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at TakeTheJourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.